Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here today and good to have those of you who are joining us by live stream also be here and be a part. Uh, gosh, folks, it's, it's been a heavy couple of weeks, hasn't it? And, and I tell you, as I look back over what's happening, what's happening in, in racial areas with, with, of course, the Supreme Court decision, you know, I, I've had a unique opportunity to really see God say, I'm right here and I know what's going on. Let me tell you real quickly. Back in, in May, when I was overcoming my, my heart surgery, obviously I was at home a lot. And, uh, and I did try to work some. And part of what I was doing was planning sermons and working on series and things like that. And uh, so I think it was like the first week, second week in May, I, I'm working on a series for this time period right here. Right here in June leading into July. And uh, I, I get an idea, I develop the idea, I'm working on it, I've got what I'm going to preach on for, for several Sundays. I mean, I get it enough organized that I can email it up here to the church and give it to Andy Huff and, and Kristen Kaler and say, okay, y'all start working on a logo, start working on a way to present this and, and start planning you know, promotion for this, and to which they do for, for a week or so. And so I get to the next week. And I mean, I've just got no peace in my heart that, that all this work I've done, that that's what God wanted me to do. I, I just, I can't get any energy about developing it. I, I can't, I just think this isn't, this isn't, I just think this isn't what God wants me to do. And uh, so I had to very sheepishly and humbly email Andy and Kristen again and say, I'm sorry you did all that work, you can throw it away. <laughs> I just said, I don't, I don't know what to tell y'all except this is not what God wants me to do. But I will have what he wants me to do by the end of the week. And this is, begin. this is back in the middle of May, and, and where he ended up leading me was to, to where we are right now, uh, to where we're at with this series, where we're looking, how do we look at life, how do we look at the world, events through the eyes of the gospel. Last week, we saw kind of a general overview, and then this week, with no knowledge that a Charleston was on the way, you know, we're looking at racism. Next week, we're looking at, uh, at homosexuality. Now, I did know that, that, that the Supreme Court would probably be delivering a judgment on that at the, end of, at the end of June. But I just really, man, I tell you, for me, and I don't know if that's connecting the dots for you, but I really saw God guiding and leading exactly what we would be speaking on, looking at right now. And then when you look at how everything unfolded, I just hear God saying, hey, I know where you are. I, I, I know what's going on. I've, I've got this. God's not up in heaven going, whoops, who knew that? You know, that, that's not where he is. He has a, a word for us, and uh, I hope that's what you'll be hearing in these Sundays. You know, as I, as I start on to today, you know, I, I realize, I mean, preachers, we're kind of a wild lot, right? I mean, we get up here and sweat and spit and carry on, and I know you probably look at preachers sometime and think, man, who got his boxers all up in a knot? But, uh, you know, so I thought before I start to carry on and spit and sweat and do all that, you know, I want you to know something. I don't actually think I'm addressing a room full of racists. I might get pretty excited about this, but I, I don't think this is a room full of racists. I don't think this is a, a room full of people that, that caused a Charleston or a Baltimore or a, or a Ferguson. I, as a matter of fact, my assumption is that a lot of us in here probably are pretty sensitive to this issue. We, we really would like to see something resolved. We, we really do want this to be better. And, and, and so I want you to know that that's kind of the view. I mean, hey, I know in this size room, there's probably some, some raci racist ideas running around, some racist attitudes. That's, that's the reality of it. But for the most part, that's not what we are. I, I know that. I believe that. 
The second thing I think we should know before we start today is that while it might sound like it, this is not a message solely for white people. Racism is not a sin of white people. Racism is a sin of all people. It's a sin of all races. There are races all over this world that have racist activities towards you that, are, that don't involve black or white people. So it's, it's not just a white issue, a white problem. We need to correct white people. This is something all races need, need to deal with. This is something we all need to look at. And you know, folks, as we say that, we're, we're at a time where it's very severe, it's very intense. And whenever we arrive at a place like that, whether you're talking about a family or a community or a nation, you have to stop and evaluate. Sometimes it's not enough to say, I'm not a part of the problem. So sometimes we have to stop and evaluate and look and, and make sure and see if we can be any sharper, if we can be any clearer, if we can be any better. And you know what? The church hasn't always been where it needed to be on this issue. Now, as I say that, I don't want to sound like I'm getting ready to take off on the church. Because anywhere that, that racism has gotten better, anywhere in the world at any time in history, any time that has gotten better, any time that has been resolved, it has always been the church. It has always been believers who were leading in that. It's never been the government. The government caught up with where believers are, and then, of course, they, they tidy things up with laws and different things like that. But it's the church that does that. Again, having said that, the church hasn't always been where it needed to be. I think of our, our church. We're, we're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. This is a convention of churches that was birthed in the Civil War. Uh, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, folks, unfortunately, was somewhat too silent during the Civil Rights Movement. We, we weren't where we needed to be. And sometimes our silence was the best thing you could say about us because sometimes we weren't silent. We were just playing on the wrong side, doing the wrong thing. And, you know, as a convention of churches... As a group of churches, we actually came to that realization. And several years ago, in the last 10 years, we had one of our annual meetings. Southern Baptist will have an annual meeting. It's usually in June. I didn't go this year. I do go most years. And uh, this year it was in Cleveland. But we meet in June, and there's usually 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 people. And, and we do the business of the convention. We do, we do the business of, of Southern Baptist. And on this particular annual meeting, that was about eight or nine years ago, uh, we, we really came to terms with the fact that we, we had done wrong. And we repented. A, a, as a group of churches, we repented of our sin, of our negligence, of our silence, and, and sometimes of our wrongdoing. We called it sin before God. We called it sin before our, our black brothers and sisters and the black churches that were represented there. And we asked forgiveness. We asked forgiveness from God. We asked forgiveness from those churches. And it was granted and there was, there was healing. And there, I mean, there was a real reconciliation that took place there. And that was not done in symbol alone. That was not just, a well, we need to have a moment like this. Man, it followed to where just uh, three years ago, and I was at this convention when we, the Southern Baptist Convention, elected our first black president, uh, Fred Luter, a pastor out of New Orleans. And, I, you know, I was there. I got to see that. I got to cast a ballot for that. And, and folks, when it was announced that Fred Luter had won, I mean, that room, and there was over 10,000 people there, it just erupted in a thunderous applause. 
There was such an, an excitement that we had crossed this bridge, that we had, we had accomplished this. And so you say, hey, a difference can be made. We can grow. We can learn. We can move in the direction that we need to. And yet, even with stories like that, racism thrives. Racism exists. I, I doubt racism will be eradicated on this planet in our lifetime, on this side of heaven. And that's not a pessimistic statement. I'm not saying, I've already said, hey, there are places, there are times, there are nations, there are groups where, where advancement is made and, and reconciliation happens. But remember, when I say it's, it's a, you know, this is something that thrives and grows, remember, it's not just a black-white issue. It's not just an American issue. Racism is a, a sin of all of humanity. It is a sin that has showed up in every single culture. It's in that context that, that I make that statement. But obviously in individual places we can see it get better. I probably would be one that, you know, that would look at America, look at our history and say, hey, you know what? We, we, we've gotten a lot better. We have corrected a lot of things. There's, there's been advancements, as is evidenced by the story I just told. Maybe as is evidenced by the Oval Office today and, and, who, and who our president is. I mean, there's evidences of improvement and advancement uh, all, all over the place. But you know what? There was a particular event in my life where I realized that for me, discussing racism getting better is just a discussion. I, I've never been on the pointy end. I've never been on the sharp end of racism. It's just a discussion about, about how much better that it's getting. I had a, that particular event was a, a friend of mine named Oliver. Oliver and his wife, Natalie. I know some of you may know those names. They were members of our church uh, a black couple involved with us for a number of years. He was a, a high-ranking Marine. And uh, we don't have a lot of Marines, obviously, over here at Fort Lee. But he was stationed at Fort Lee. And, and for a long time, you know, they moved through every three years in the military. But uh, we, we had Oliver. He was here six, seven years before he was new, moved to his next assignment. He has since retired. But, but uh, if you knew Oliver and Natalie, I mean, just a, a godly, wonderful couple. Oliver was a teacher in our life group. Uh, he was a soul winner. Uh, he, he, he not only went out and shared the gospel, he trained, he taught a lot of us to go out and, and to share the gospel. Just an incredible member of our church. One Wednesday night, uh, he goes out on a, on a visit on, on behalf of the church, walks up to the door, knocks, nobody's there. He leaves some information about our church and, uh, and turns and leaves. And he's not even a, a mile from the house, a couple of minutes having pulled away and, and left before he gets pulled over by the, by the police. You see, before he'd ever even gotten out of the car, or before he ever even reached the front door, somebody was home, the occupant of the house saw him and, and called the police. And so he was there at the door a few seconds and then he pulled off and, and then he was pulled over by the police. The police officer that is, again, as I, I wasn't there, but as, as uh, Oliver tells the story, the, the police officer recognized pretty quickly that was a call that should not have been made. This is a stop that should not have happened and he was very apologetic and, 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 and let Oliver go pretty quickly. But you know, that's when it dawned on me. While I might see all kinds of advances... In, 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 in racism in our country. And I would say this to, to my black brothers and sisters. White folk can get frustrated sometimes. Because we don't want to be racist. 
And we want things to advance. We want things to get better. And, and yet when it seems like no matter what happens, we're still being called racist. We're still being shown off. Wait, wait a minute. That's not fair. We're trying to get better. And, and yet when I heard that story from Oliver, that's when, when I realized, you know, I bet when he was pulled over by that cop, he wasn't thinking about, look at all the advancements in America. I, I bet when he was pulled over for no reason but being black, he wasn't thinking about all the things that have changed and how much better that it's gotten. You see what I'm saying for a lot of us white folks? Talking about racism is just a, an issue that we talk about and maybe feel good about the advancements and, and can justify ourselves that I'm not a part of the problem. But not being a part of the problem doesn't actually fix anything, does it? Last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we, again, not just looking solely at racism, but a larger issue of looking at our world, looking at people, and, and looking through the filter of the gospel. And we saw in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 5, 16, we can't look at people the way we used to. It's a command. You can't do that anymore. You can't look at gender. You can't look at race. You can't look at an economic status and then size them up with your assumptions and your values judgments that then lead to attitudes and actions we don't we don't get to do that anymore god says stop you no longer look at people that way and make those judgments but rather we have one of two ways that we look at somebody one regardless of gender regardless of race regardless of economic status they're a new creature in christ they're a believer, and if they're a believer, then I am to have a desire to relate with, to know them. As a matter of fact, Romans 12 says, to relate with them to such an extent that I weep when they weep and I rejoice when they rejoice. That's pretty close to somebody, isn't it? That's a pretty tight bond when you begin experiencing life in what they're experiencing. And that's what God says is to be my attitude towards somebody when I look at somebody, regardless of any of those ways that we've measured people up by. Now, not everybody out there is a believer, are they? Well, then that becomes the second way that we look at people. They're not a new person in Christ, but regardless of their, their gender, regardless of their race, regardless of their, their economic status, regardless of their sin that offends us, the Scripture says there's one way I look at them. There's somebody who needs to be reconciled to God. And who's been given that job? Who's been given the ministry of reconciliation? You and I have been given that. We're the ones that are to build that bridge. That's what believers are. That's what Christians do. We don't put up walls. We don't divide and separate. We build and we bring together. That's what we have been called to do in Christ. Now, I want to take that big idea today, apply it to racism. Next week, we'll look at the issue of homosexuality. But today specifically, hey, what does God say? Does, does the scriptures speak to this? Does, do we get anything on the idea of where God is on this? And I thought what we could do is just go back to the very beginning, look at Adam and Eve, see what race they were and what, what God had in mind when he started. And I've got a picture of Adam and Eve here. And you can see clearly they're a white couple, probably from California, and, and maybe models for Harlequin romance novels. What do you think? Um, yeah, okay, let's get done with the picture. Take that out. That's a pretty silly picture of Adam and Eve. You, you know what, folks? I hope right away you recognize there is no picture of Adam and Eve. And nowhere in Scripture is there any 
any direct, any teaching on what their race, what their ethnicity was. Now, here's why that stands out as interesting to me. is because the Bible often, not every now and then, often points out of the biblical characters what nation they were from, what their ethnicity was, what their background was. It all the time points that out. And yet on Adam and Eve, it, it never makes any suggestion about their race, about their ethnicity. Why is that? Could it be because it's absolutely irrelevant? That's not important at all what their race is. That's not information we need because it's just irrelevant. Adam and Eve were not beginning an ethnic race. Adam and Eve were beginning the human race. And it's not an ethnicity that means I'm created in the image of God. It is being human that means I've been created in the image of God, right? And you say, well, well, what about all the ethnicities? What, what, was, what was God thinking there? Well, you know what? The scripture teaches us. Acts chapter 17, God took that one man, whatever his race was, and it was from that one man that he created all the nations, that he created all the ethnicities, that he created all the races. That was God's idea, and God's ideas are good. God's design is good. It was God who created all of these people groups and these ethnicities. Now, it wasn't long into human history. It wasn't long into the scriptures before God reaches out and he picks one of those races. It wasn't the white race. It wasn't the black race or the Mexican race or the Korean race. No, he reached out and he picked a group of people that we call Jews, right? He picked Israel. He picked a man named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. I'm going to make out of you a great race of people. Now, when I hear that, I, I think, now, wait a minute. You, you know, if you're picking somebody, that's not fair. That, that would seem to give that, that race an advantage. They, they're, they're going to have some things that I don't get. That, that's not fair, God, is it, for you to pick one race of people to be your chosen people, your favored people? But when God picks them... He explains why. Not down deep in the details. In the opening line to Abraham, he explains why he is picking a person, why he's picking a race. And we see that in Genesis 12. I will bless you, and that's Abraham. I will bless you, Abraham, and make your name great so that for the purpose that you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing in you, Abraham, in you, nation of Israel, all the families, every single one of them, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know what, folks, what we see throughout Scripture, God likes to work through his creation. God likes to work through people. We see that here. He picks a group of people. And he says, I'm giving you the ministry of blessing. Last week, we saw God takes people that he's already reconciled. And he says, I'm going to give you the message. I'm going to give you the ministry of reconciliation. God picks people to work through and reach all people. So, folks, God in his design excludes no one. So we can exclude no one. We can have no attitude or thought that excludes people. Ah, oh, but we do. <laughs> so, so did the Jews. They, they kind of took that idea of being chosen and they just stuck with the first part. I'm going to bless you. They said, hey, instead of being a conduit by which through God's blessings flow, we'd like to be a cul-de-sac. God, you just back up all those blessings and we'll catch them all right here and just leave it here. 
And, and they turned their, their being chosen into the idea that by my being chosen, that means you weren't. And so I'm blessed, you're cursed. And that began to be kind of an attitude they had toward other races, other nations, other people groups. And folks, this becomes such an issue that God wants to correct that there's a whole story of the Bible. One of the most well-known stories of the Bible is about this issue right here. You may not have known it. You may not have put it because we get stuck on this guy being stuck in the belly of a big fish. But folks, this is what the story of Jonah is all about. God comes to Jonah and he says, uh, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. You know, the Ninevites over there, man, they're living deep in sin. I want you to carry a message to them that says, if they'll repent, I won't count their sins against them. Hey, that sounds a lot like what we heard last week in the New Testament, right? That's right, because God doesn't change from, from one year to the next. He doesn't change from one people group to the next or one season to the next. God is the same always, yesterday, today, and forever. And he is wanting to reconcile. And so he says, Jonah, carry this message to the Ninevites. And Jonah said, uh, nah. Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so he turns and he runs the opposite direction, right? And that's when God says, hey, you're going, you're going the wrong direction, Jonah. Clearly you're lost. Hey, I've got a big fish that's going to help you. Okay? Now, folks, remember, as Jonah's running, this is a man that would say, I am a believer of the one true God. I am a follower of the living God. I, I am faithful to God. Now, yeah, I'm, I'm disobeying him. And, yeah, I'm running in the complete wrong direction. And that's where God grabs him. Puts him in the belly of that fish. That fish spits him up three days later. Man, did he stink. It was awful. Okay, he gets up there and God says, okay, you want round two? Let's do this again. I want you to go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah says, you know, after thinking about this a little bit, I will. But you know, as he goes, he goes with incredible bitterness. As a matter of fact, one of the wildest lines in Scripture, he delivers the message, the people respond, they repent, they're they're blessed by God, and Jonah's like, I knew you were going to be nice and forgiving. That's why I didn't want to go. What? (laughs) You know why he didn't want to go? Because Jonah hated those people. And it says in Jonah, it literally turned his stomach to think of those people being on the receiving end of God's blessing. And he wanted nothing to do with it. And so, although Jonah has now obeyed, done what he was supposed to, and that part is over, God's not done with Jonah No, there's a little lesson that Jonah needs to get. And so there's a part of the story, again, when we hear of Jonah, we think of a a fish. But there's a plant involved in this also. And I'm not going to go into that part of the story, but you're going to see it in this verse. This is how God finishes up with Jonah. Look here at Jonah chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. He says, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did you make it grow, which which came into being in a night and it perishes in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? Look at this line, folks, because I think this speaks to right where we are in America today, who don't know their right from their left. They're just that dumb. And in that dumbness, they're doing incredible wrong. But what's God's attitude about that? I pity them. I pity them. So what God comes to Jonah and says, let me get this right, Jonah. You'll place value on a plant. 
That plant wasn't your idea. You didn't design the plant. You didn't make the plant. You didn't plant the plant. You didn't cause the plant to grow. But you give it value. So why in the world would you be surprised that I give value to a human being that I did create, that I did design, that was fashioned in my own image and it means so much to me? Yes, they're doing wrong. But my first step toward them is one of reconciliation. How do I, how do I bring them back? You know, we learned in VBS this week that God, is a, God has the power to forgive And he does. You know what else God has the power to do? God has the power to bring judgment. And God has the power to punish. And folks, the scripture teaches us, doesn't it, that there's a day of judgment. There will be a day of punishment. There will be a day when justice comes. There will be a day when wrongs are righted. But that's not today. Today is the day of pity. Today is the day where God is wanting not to bring judgment. He's wanting to bring reconciliation. God is wanting to restore people. That's what God is wanting to do today. And here's something else I notice in Scripture. God never says, hey, Randy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to partner with me in bringing judgment. I want you to partner with me in bringing punishment. No, he never says that. You know what he says? Randy, I want you to partner with me in carrying the message of reconciliation. And that message is to go to all peoples. I exclude no one. Folks, so we look at scriptures and what I see is by God's design, He has created all the people groups. He has created all the ethnicities and races. None are to be left out. I see God chastise His people when they think they can justify their prejudices and leave some group of people out. And then I come into the New Testament and I see God sending to us the Messiah. Jesus Christ. And folks, do you know that one of the direct results of the gospel is, yes, man being reconciled to God, but that's not where it stops. One of the direct results of the gospel is man being reconciled to man. And we might think of that on a personal level where there's forgiveness, but it's most directly applied to people groups, to racial prejudices. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And folks, this, this line right here comes right out of what, what God was trying to say to Jonah. And to fully embrace this one verse, I really encourage you to read all of these verses. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 18. This is verse 14. It says, He Himself, that's Jesus, is our peace. He's the one who made everything between God and us okay. He's the one who made us right with God again. Who has made us both. Who's the both? What, what both are we talking about? When you read all of verses 11 through 18, you'll see it's Jew and Gentile. It's two people groups. Groups that don't like each other. Groups that have prejudice against one another. And, and the work of Jesus bringing us to God also makes us both one and has broken down in His flesh. In other words, Jesus has broken down in His work on the cross the dividing wall of hostility between races. Between people groups. Folks, one of the direct works of the gospel is to bring people together. Now you say, okay, I can see why that's important. Okay, it's a better world if we're all getting along. But why would that be elevated to one of the primary purposes of there being a gospel? Well, you kind of have to know where God is going. You have to know what this thing looks like when the story is, is, is all said and done. Remember Genesis 12. Abraham, I'm picking you. 
and you're going to be a blessing to all of the families. Now let's go to the end of the story. Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. There's going to be members from every nation there. Think of the nations that have warred against each other, that hate each other. And it's been that way for centuries. They're going to be standing there shoulder to shoulder from all the tribes. We don't really use that word in America. We're not broken up into tribes. But boy, there's places throughout Eastern Europe, throughout Africa. There are tribes. People are broken up into tribes and some of those tribes hate each other. There's tribal warfare that has gone on for centuries and all people and languages. What are they doing? They're standing there before the throne and before the Lamb worshiping together. Folks, that's where God is going with the gospel. Sing all of the people groups, all of the races and ethnicities as one standing before the throne and worshiping Him. Hey, if that's where God is going, am I a part of what God is doing? It's one thing to say, I'm not a part of the problem. I I didn't do anything to, to cause that or create that. Okay, good. But are you a part of what God is doing? Are you a part of where God is going? Those are two very different issues. And folks, God is going to a place where there is no prejudice. Where there is no racism. This actually is a part of what defines heaven. And boy, it's hard to get there. It's hard for us to see that and and get past that. Folks, I want you to look at one of the primary character qualities of Christ where you and I are told to say, hey, be like Christ, just like this. Look at Philippians chapter 2. But in humility, now that word's the first problem right there because you know what what racism is about? It's about arrogance. It's about pride. It's about saying, I'm better than you. I'm above you. I'm more than you. It's it's about pushing people down. But the one who walks in Christ walks in humility. But in humility, count others. What others? Your four or five best friends? Your family members? The people you go to church with? Well, yeah, of course, yes. It includes those others. But folks, it it includes all the others. It's all the others of the world. In humility, count others. Others what? Other people more significant than yourselves. There's no way you could read that line and say, except that person. Except those people. No, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest. Be concerned about the interest of others, the well-being of others. That's how you're like Christ. That's what I'm calling you to be and do. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. You're to think like God thinks. You're you're to do what God does. You're to go where God is going. And folks, the scripture is really clear about where God is going in the issue of the races and ethnicities. And it's not a minor issue of scripture. It is a big issue of scripture. And that's why I say it's, it's, it's important to not be a part of the problem. It's more important to be a part of what God is doing.
Let me give you four quick ideas about how you and I can join God. I'm not saying these are the only four things or, or that this is all encompassing, but let me give you four quick ideas of how we become, how we join God and what He's doing. Number one, pray the Lord will open your eyes to any racist ideas and actions. I mean, folks, that, that's just, I, I would say that because that's, where, that's what Jesus says, right? Before you go on to take, before you go out to take on the, 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 the uh, splinter that's in somebody's eye, make sure you're not carrying around a what? A, a, a log in your own. Whenever we're dealing with issues of other people, let's make sure we're dealing with ourselves first. And so we, we, we try to look real in our own hearts and minds and make sure that's not going on. Number two, pray God shows you where racial tension exists in your sphere of involvement. I'm not saying you're the racial tension. I'm saying that you and I are all involved in things. We're involved in ball clubs, teams. We're involved in at school, at work. We've got a group of friends. Man, I need to become sensitive to these groups that I'm a part of. We're, we're, we're racist attitudes. We're racist ideas, jokes, words are being thrown around. And then I need to, be, I need to ask God for wisdom. Hey, how do I... How do I become a help in that not happening anymore? Now, my guess is a lot of us, if we recognized in our friends some of these racist things, we'd, we'd be a little squeamish. We, we'd be a little uncomfortable about addressing that. And that's why I say, hey, God, give me wisdom, maybe boldness, because this isn't right. Okay, I can't value my friend's jokes and my friend's attitudes above who God is, what he's doing, and what he's invited me to join him in doing, Right? I, I got to value God greater than that. Number three, build a friendship with someone of another race. Now, I want you to understand what I mean by the word friendship. Okay? Life forces us together, right? We, we go to school with people of a different race. We go to work with people of a different race. And we might be polite. We might be cordial. We might wave. We might have conversations. But, but friends are not people that life just forced me and stuck me with and I get along with them. No, no, friends are actually people I choose to do things outside of what has forced us together, right? Do with them what you would do with friends. Build, build a relationship to such an extent that you understand better how to pray, better how to help, better how to serve, better how to know their interests like we were told to do in Philippians chapter 2. Build a friendship. Number four. And folks to me. This is, this is when the gospel. When I'm really looking at life through the gospel. And the gospel's really had its impact. I'm partnering in ministry with somebody of another race. And really I should put plural there. Races. Because when I'm serving the Lord together. With people of another race. Boom. Target. Dead on. That's what God is doing. When we're not just, hey, it's great if we can, you know, if a football team brings us together and we cheer for the same team. But man, when we're coming together over serving God and worshiping God, that's what God is doing. That's where we've arrived at where God is going. You know, folks, excites me about, about what's happening here at the Heights and as our church grows is that you can do things like number three and number four Right here in this church. Doesn't, these two things don't have to be done in our church. But you, you can do it. You know I, I, I don't. I don't know where to. I don't know where God is. On white churches. And black churches. And Mexican churches. And Korean churches. I understand why we have those. Because we all have our cultures. Our backgrounds. And there's ways we understand. And communicate. And there's just things that are more comfortable. And so that's why we have those things. I, I, I don't. I'm not going to say God sees that as sin. I think that would be too far. 
But I don't think that's what God wants. I, I, I really don't. Not, not from when he gives me a glimpse into heaven can I see heaven and then say, you know what God really wants? He wants all white churches, all black churches, all this church, all that. No, he doesn't. When the gospel's really working, we're worshiping and serving together. We understand each other's cultures and we work through those discomforts and we work through those things that aren't natural because there's something bigger and more important and, and that's our love for God. I tell you folks, as I'm work, this had something really wild. Again, I see God working in all this. So I'm working on that this week and I'm getting this together and I'm thinking about number three and four, mostly thinking about it on an individual level. And this week... Okay, this is coming up. This week, uh, one of the pastors from Mount Olivet down in Petersburg gave us a call. Uh, that's a, a, a predominantly African-American church down in Petersburg. It's a large church. I, I don't know what size. It's as large as ours or, or, or even bigger. And so one of the pastors there calls us and says, Hey, we want to link arm in arm with y'all and lead this community to where it needs to be on racial reconciliation. You know what my first thought was? Shoot, they called first. I wish I had called them first. <laughs> but they did call. And it was just an opening dialogue. There's going to be several of us that are going to get together and sit down. I hope we're going to be able to create a couple of opportunities. An opportunity where we, where we worship together and just enjoy the God that has saved us together. And, and then maybe another opportunity where we are doing work. Where we're doing ministry together in, in our community. And I just think that would be awesome to see these two large churches coming together. Why? Because we have all the answers? Because we figured out how to love it? No, we've come together because we love Jesus. And he'll figure out the rest. He'll help us work out the rest. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Let me say it for the ninth time today. It's great. It's so good to not be a part of the problem. It's God-like to be a part of the answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless that call that Mount Olivet made. Guide us in what we can be and do together because we love and worship you. And Lord, as we think of that as maybe on a large church scale and how two churches relate together, Lord, I pray that you would guide all of us individually how do we live for you out in our community, out in our world? Lord, you know what's going on in our nation. There's such tension. And it's more than just not getting along. It's costing lives. It's costing property. And, and there's just anger and the, the very hostility that you addressed in Ephesians 2 that you want to see the cross bring down. God, may we be the church. May we be salt and light. May we be peace. May we be people of a message of reconciliation. May we be the bridge builders that you've called us to be. That we have no right alternative to be anything but. Lord, nobody in this room caused Charleston or Baltimore or Ferguson. But Lord, probably every single person in this room is around racism. We're around racist ideas, racist jokes, racist attitudes. Lord, show us how we live for you and represent you in those places. So this wall can be brought down. We need your help. And we ask for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.